among us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Step on in, folks. We have some spooky stories to share. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you up front. I have a bit of a Halloween hangover. The Monsters Among Us virtual Halloween party, which I'd say went off pretty well, took a lot of my time and took a lot of my energy. That combined with this crazy election, believe it or not, an upcoming snowstorm, and all these back-end changes you've no doubt began to notice. Well, despite all that, we're here to do a show. And I figured it was time for a grab bag episode. So buckle up, things are about to get a little crazy. But first, I want to mention the virtual Halloween party. We had hundreds of people swing by. It was pretty exciting. Gave away a lot of gifts. Uh, David Flora from Quiz Quiz Bang Bang stopped by and did a little game show for a handful of people. We gave away some costume contests. We played some music, told some stories, and had a ton of technical glitches. But all in all, it was a great time. And I got to say, I met a young man named Blaze who was dressed as the Maryland Goat Man. Well, not only did Blaze's costume impress, he won one of the rounds, but he also tore things up in the trivia. Not only did he win his round, but he beat out two adults handedly to win the trivia championship. So a huge congratulations to Blaze, I believe in Maryland. Thanks for swinging by, buddy. Kicked butt. And I also want to say a big thank you to all of the sponsors that helped make it possible. In fact, you can probably swing by the website and click on the Spooky Bazaar tab. There might even be a few sales still up and running. So, without further hesitation, let's open tonight's grab bag. And our first story of the evening comes to us from a man named Bobby in the state of Texas. Now, just a little warning here before we begin with this story. The tale is a little graphic and describes a bloody but non-violent related death. So parental guidance and all that. Hi, Derek. My name is Bobby. Grew up in a little small town in South Texas. This incident happened to me back in the early 70s. There was a rumor going around school that some friends of ours had, had gone um, parking 
as kids do, you know, at that age, and uh, that this light had chased them out of this field. And several couples had gone out and tried this, and what they did was they went back into this field and wait, and this light would come out of the field and chase them down this road. Well, one night after a football game, some friends of mine decided we were going to go check this out. We'd heard about it. We wanted to see what was up. So we all piled into this little car that my, my friend of mine had, Mike. It was a little bitty thing. I don't know how we fit in that thing, but it was five of us all together. And we get we piled into this car. And we, my sister had actually found out where this place was, and she told me. So we drove out there. It was out, out of the city and uh, got out in the country out there and, and uh, drove into the field back in and, and got the car facing out the right direction. And uh, Mike, who was driving the car, he dared me, and I was in the passenger seat. He said, I dare you to get out. And, you know, we're all big, tough seniors now, and I didn't want to be ashamed, so I said, all right, I can get out. So next thing you know, we're all out standing in the back of this car, standing in the field in the dark. And you could hear the crickets, and you could hear frogs. I could tell there was a there was a creek that ran down the back side of this field, in the back of it, about a hundred yards from where we were. You could hear the frogs, hear the crickets, and we're standing there looking around. And all of a sudden, everything stopped. I mean, it was like you hit a switch. All the frogs quit going, the crickets quit, and it just got dead, dead silent. And we looked at each other, wondering what the heck. And we looked down, and you could see this real light glow coming up out of this creek. You couldn't actually see a light, but you could see a glow from a light. And we were looking at this thing, and all of a sudden it went off. And next thing you know, it comes on again, but it's a little farther to the left. Couldn't see the light yet, just a glow. We thought, wow, what is that? And it would stay off for two or three seconds and come back on. The next time it came back on, it was up out of the creek, about eight feet off the ground, and it was about the size of a baseball. And it was a, a strange looking color of light. It would stay on and then it would go off. Next time it would come on, it was closer to us, but off to the right about 20 feet. Now this field had just been plowed, so you could see the furrows in the road. And when this light came on, it would illuminate the ground. And when that light came on, you could tell it was moving towards us just by the shadow of those furrows. So we're looking at each other like, what the heck is that? That's, that's not a flashlight. It doesn't look like a flashlight. Well, it's getting closer and closer. Mind you, it's about, it started out 100 yards away. It's probably halfway now to us. And we're looking at each other like, whoa. Well, we panicked. And Mike said, let's go. So we all start jumping in this car and uh, trying to get out of there. We all get in the car, and we're, we're going down this dirt road. It's old Caliche Road. And this thing is coming, and it is right behind the car, going on and off, about six, seven feet off the ground, right behind the car. I mean, five feet behind this car. And we're screaming down this, this little uh, dirt, dirt road, and we're just panicked. I mean, we were just panicked. And, I mean, this light just seemed so intense. And uh, we get about halfway down this road, and we realized one of the kids did not get in the car. In the panic of trying to get in this little bitty car. Now, mind you, back in the 70s, these cars only had two doors, and you had to flip the seat up to get in the back. Well, that's how this was, a small car. And, oh, my God, our hearts just sank. Tommy had been left back there in that field. Well, we were all too scared to turn around and go back. So we're still running from this light. We're going down this road. And we crossed these, these railroad tracks. And as soon as we crossed the railroad tracks, and we were all looking back, watching this thing, well, it stops. That light stops that railroad track. 
and we could see it going back. It was turning on and off, just like it was coming at us, but now it's going back the way it comes. Man, we were scared. We were scared to go back for Tommy. We felt so bad about it, but we were just flat out scared. So Mike wanted to go back to his dad's house and get him and uh, come back and look for Tommy. But where Mike lived was clear on the other side of town. It would have taken us forever to get over there and back. And I knew the sheriff's station was just down the road from us. So that's where we decided to go. I convinced every man to go to the sheriff's station that we, that we they can go back out there. They have guns. And so that's what we did. We went to the sheriff, told him what happened. And two of the boys, they were too afraid to go back out there. So uh, me and Mike went with the sheriff, got in his car, and drove out there. So we had to tell him where this was. So we crossed the railroad tracks. We're heading towards this field. And about halfway to that field on that white Felici road, we saw something laying right off to the side of the road. The sheriff turned on his lights, and he told us to stay in the car, but we didn't. We jumped out and ran up to it, and it was Tommy. And Tommy was laying in the road. And I don't want to be too descriptive here, but uh, his throat wasn't cut. His throat was gone. I mean, gone from the bottom of his chin to his collarbone, all the way back to his spinal column. I could see it. His cowboy hat was gone, and one of his boots was gone. And he was clearly dead. And there was just blood. I mean, just a pile of blood. So the sheriff told us to get back in the car and to get in the back seat. Well, before he did that, he got on the radio and he called his deputy back at the station and told him to keep those other two boys there. Don't let them go to the bathroom. Don't let them wash up or anything. Uh, then I realized then that he suspected we did it. So they took us back to the station and they inspected us. The court, of course, the coroner came out and all that stuff. And they inspected our clothes. They inspected the car. There was not a drop of blood on any of us. So they realized there's no way we could have done that. We couldn't have done that without getting something on us. So it was later just determined that he had panicked and ran into a barbed wire fence and, and cut his throat that way. Well, the next day, my dad and I drove out there. My dad wanted to see where it happened at. They had it all blocked off, and uh, we couldn't get in there. So I guess they were doing a search. But my dad was friends with one of the uh, deputies. They fished together, and he found out they never did find that hat. They never found the boot that was missing, and they never knew what happened. Tommy's family moved away from town and never heard any much more about it after that. So I don't know what it was, but I'll never forget it, and I'll never forget the color of that light. It reminds me of these LED headlights that I see on these new cars, and it just gives me chills when I see those coming around the corner because it's exactly what it looked like. Hope you can use this, Derek. Love your show. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, Bobby. Now, as I was listening to Bobby's story, I was reminded of another ghost story where someone tragically lost their life. Now, for this one, we have to go all the way back to 1803. Now, this story takes place in the Hammersmith area of London. There were rumors that there was a ghost of a suicide victim roaming about, attacking the citizens of Hammersmith. That's when a young man named Francis Smith decided to take matters into his own hands. He began roaming the streets armed, looking for said specter, and on the night of January 3rd, 1804, he found it. He instructed the entity to stop in its place. The entity refused, and he fired a shot, killing a young bricklayer dressed as a ghost named Thomas Millwood. Now eventually, Smith was taken to court for the murder, 
and was charged and sentenced to death, later to have his sentence reversed and dropped down to one year's hard labor. Now this case is still significant today because it sort of laid the groundwork for self-defense claims. Who would have thought a young man dressed as a ghost, pranking people, would change the legal system some 200 years later? Thanks, Bobby, for sharing that tragic story. I wonder what that light was, and I wonder if Tommy got such a good look at it that he was willing to risk his life to get away from it. Thanks again. Now next from our grab bag, we pull out the name Jessica from the state of California. Take it away, Jessica. Hi, my name is Jessica. I just wanted to give you all a call. I grew up in Bakersfield, California. Whenever I was young, we lived in this house in Tehachapi, California. And there was an old railroad track that ran through. And whenever they were working on it in the old days, they used to go up and bury the people that died working on it where our house was. And our house was an old house, probably like 1980 or so. And used to live in a two-story house on the top of the hill where they used to bury the dead. My little sister was about two, and she used to put her head down to the floor and say, Mommy, Daddy wants me to come play with him. And no one, her dad was at work. And there was one time where she got dragged out of bed by something. We don't know what. We used, our dog used to freak out all the time. I used to hear footsteps in my room. I had a two-story bunk bed and with actual steps. And I used to hear steps coming up my bed. I was actually around like 13 or 14 years old and taking selfies in the bathroom. And I actually caught a picture of something crouching behind me. And it still gives me chills to this day. My mom still has the pictures till this day. We don't know what it was or anything. Yeah, that's my story. Thank you for what you do. Bye. Thank you, Jessica. And it kind of goes without saying that if you have a photograph that uh, coincides with your story or a video for that matter, Please send it to me at the time of your submission so I can share it with everyone else. Uh, and that said, Jessica, I would love to see that photo and share it as well. So please shoot me an email. Now the mention of Tehachapi brings up a vague memory I have. There's a famous section of train track of the Pacific Union Railroad. It's about 4,000 feet long, known as the Tehachapi Loop. Now essentially it's just a train track that loops up on itself and goes uh, 90 degrees in a different direction. Now, if a train's long enough, it literally passes over itself, which is kind of interesting. But as for the spookiness of this story, I got to imagine that living anywhere with bodies thought to be buried beneath would be a terrifying situation. And I also have to imagine it would make even the slightest creak or movement of an insect seemed like something paranormal. Regardless, thank you, Jessica, for sharing your tale. Now, guys, if you have a story you would like to share, a true story, 
Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now as I reach my hand deep inside this bag of terrifying tales, I pull out this one from Ben in the state of Pennsylvania. Hey Derek, this is Ben from Minnesota calling in with a story. Uh, this took place in Wisconsin. It would have been in the mid-90s, probably 95 or 96. So I grew up in Sheboygan County, Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin, to be specific. And we were pretty close to Kettle Moraine National Park. And there was always this place that we would drive out to and go hiking, Tarnell, which was north of Cascade, south of like Greenbush and Plymouth. But one of the times that we were going out there, there were always stories about this specific road, County Road S, out there. Um, everybody called it Suicide S because it was very curvy. But also there was a lot of talk about that there were cults that lived out there. This is after the whole satanic panic of the late 80s, but it was still, you know, kind of in the air in the 90s as well. And, you know, people just talk and people would go out there and say that they would see places on these. There's lots of um, dirt roads and uh, side roads and hunting trails and things like that that people would go back on. They said that there were, you know, campsites back there and weird stuff back there and cabins and fenced off areas, lots of no trespassing on private property and things like that where they said, you know, weird stuff would happen. And it was always alluded to that it was satanic kind of in nature. So anyway, I was with some friends and we were, we went to uh, Paramount Tower and then we were heading back and we were heading back on S, which would have been going north somewhere between Highway 67 and Highway 23. And we decided to take a, one of these, you know, dirt trails, one of these side roads. And we pulled in and started driving down the side road, and eventually we saw a chain that went across two trees and was blocking the road off, saying no trespassing. We stopped the car, we were going to turn around, and we realized the side of the car on both sides, there were animal sacrifices, I guess is the best way for me to describe it, on either side displayed. So on the right side of the car, there was a pig, pretty decent-sized pig, which was kind of set up against the tree and it had its back sliced open and pulled open, kind of displaying its rib cage, which, you know, was pretty horrifying. And then the other side of the car, there was a skin of some kind, I assume it was a deer skin, laid out flat on the ground. And then on top of that was positioned a dead raccoon laying flat on its stomach. And it was huge. It was, I don't know if it was because it was bloated um, or if it, if it was just a very large raccoon, but I remember it being very big. And then next to that, there was a box. Um, and we're like, all right, let's go see what's inside of this box. But one of the guys in the back of the car decided to take that opportunity to yell, there's someone coming, really loud, and scared the hell out of us. So we decided not to get out of the car because we were so our hearts were racing enough as it was and then he decided to be a jerk so we just got out of there but it was very strange i don't know if it had anything to do with the cult activity that people talked about out there or not but it was definitely a very disturbing occurrence and it, it looked ritualistic i guess the way everything was laid out it wasn't random these things were positioned 
intentionally. So anyway, that's my story. Love the podcast. I'll keep listening and hope you are well. Take care. Bye now. Thank you, Ben. You threw me for a loop there. I thought we were headed to Pennsylvania. Well, you know, your mention of uh, Kettle Moraine State Park reminded me of a few different things, to be honest. First was the Dogman, which it isn't all that far from Elkhorn, Wisconsin, in the area of uh, Bray Road. But that kind of leads me to my next point. If any of you have seen the documentary The Bray Road Beast, a 2018 film by friend of the show Seth Breedlove and his small-town monsters crew. There's some mention in that film of some satanic rituals, or at least some sort of rituals, taking place in that area, roughly around the same time. In fact, here's the trailer for that documentary. There's a mention in here I think correlates to this story. You know, I, I believe that the, the werewolf lore had to have, it started somewhere, and every, every lore or myth has some truth to it. I didn't want to call it the werewolf because right away, I didn't believe it was a werewolf. I titled it the Beast of Bray Road, and it just stuck. But it doesn't mean, I know now, that there's only one thing out on one road. From my experiences and seeing what I've seen and whatnot, I, I wouldn't totally rule out some type of occult activity. If by chance somebody invokes some type of a occult type beast. I believe it exists. I've seen it. I have evidence. I'm past that. Now I want to know where is it coming from? Is it really live here? That's my pursuit. I know as long as I, I think about this, I, not a day goes by that I don't. I know a day won't go by that I won't think about it. No, I believe Seth has that back up on Amazon Prime. So you can go over there and check that out tonight if it's something that interests you. And I gotta say, of all his documentaries, that's one of my favorites. So I don't know if there's a connection here or not, Ben, but but I remember that detail from the trailer and I thought I would at least share it with you guys. Now before we move on, I want to mention real quick that uh, Sarah has taken over my merchandise. Sort of. Uh, her and I both design uh, the shirts uh, along with the artists that we hire still. Uh, but she handles a lot of the ordering and uh, packing and all that stuff so we can get things out quicker and, and more accurately, I guess you could say. That said, she's been working really hard to stock the shop, so if you're looking for some holiday gift ideas, and you know someone that loves the show, well, there you go. So just visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop, and there's all sorts of goodies in there, from mugs, stickers, t-shirts, hats, you name it. Oh, and the hoodies, I believe, are being printed as I record this, so if you've ordered a hoodie, we'll be in touch very shortly. Now our next entry is a little weird because it says it is a live UFO call. So for this one, we head down to the state of Texas. Hi, it's September 1st, 2020. I'm gonna keep my name out of this and I'm just gonna say that I am in Texas. This 
just happened. I know that I'm not supposed to call while we're on the road, but this literally just happened, and I am freaked out. Okay, so I'm driving down a highway, and it's just me, and it's like a little bit rainy outside, okay? Um, The roads are kind of wet-looking, damp, it's misty. It's a full moon, okay? That's always a good thing, but it's cloudy out, and it's also kind of lightning, all right? But the clouds are sparse. And some of them are thick and, like, the darker colored ones. And you can tell that those are, like, the more dense ones, not the ones that you can kind of see through that are, like, the misty lower ones that are, I guess, like, below that that are the ones that are just, like, the ones that are coming in, I guess. I don't know. But I'm driving down the highway, okay? And there's literally nothing ahead of me. It's just, like, a straight road. There's no one else on the road. It's just me. There's no one behind me. Like, it's freaking almost midnight in a small Texas town, okay? Like, no one's out. Just me, and I'm just out doing me, okay? All of a sudden, in my vision, like, right in front of me in the sky where there wasn't, it was just kind of like a sparsely clouded area. Like, I can see the sky clearly a little bit. And then, like, in the distance, you can see, like, the thicker black clouds and then the low-line clouds that are, like, the more see-through, misty-looking ones. All right. They, all of a sudden, these two lights, they just look like they're on the end of a barbell. So, like, one light on each end. But there's nothing in between them. It's just too light. They just came out of nowhere. They just popped into the sky in my field of vision out of nowhere. And there wasn't a cloud that they came out from. They were just, all of a sudden, they were just there. And they started floating in unison together. And they weren't, like, fast moving or anything. They were just kind of gliding through. And there's nothing in between them. It's just these two lights. Not like they were very far away, like, because I could tell that there was no blinking lights on them there was nothing in between them and not only that but it's like lightning like a lot where I'm at right now I mean like if it was a plane when it would like lightning the sky you would be able to see the outline of a plane but when this lightning happened there's nothing it's just these two balls of light that are just floating through the sky so I'm just like floored at what I'm seeing so I pull over on the side of the road and I just sat and I watched it kind of float behind this see-through cloud that you could see like the glow from these two lights because it wasn't like the big dense black ones that are causing all the storm and then all of a sudden like you expect these two lights to come out from the other side of the cloud and then they didn't come out from the other side of the cloud and then there was no longer a glow in the cloud okay so And I just saw that, and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm freaked out, okay? Oh, my God. I don't even know what to do. I've never, never, okay? So, anyway, yeah. I think I just saw some, like, uh, I I don't know what I saw. (laughs) I'm scared. Okay. Anyway, Texas. All right, bye. Thank you, Texas. And uh, thank you for calling us immediately after seeing this thing. Next time, I'll suggest that you maybe turn on the camera instead of calling me, but I truly appreciate you thinking of us. Now that said, I I wonder what you actually saw, and I can tell in your voice that what you saw shook you up. And I should also add that 
you are 100% right to call from the car in this situation. Now, given the fact that there was some sort of electrical storm going on, uh, lightning was mentioned, I wonder if we were looking at some sort of ball lightning. I don't know if it travels in pairs or is coupled like that, but some of the descriptions you described kind of give me that inclination. That said, I've also heard countless stories of people describing UFOs that seem to be cloaked by clouds, so part of that story checks out as well. So thank you again, caller, for taking the time, and thanks for thinking of us during your spooky encounter. Our next tale takes us all the way to the East Coast. The following was submitted by Alex in the state of Virginia. Hey Derek, this is Alex from West Central Virginia. Uh, so this next story takes place when I was probably in like late elementary school to middle school, probably around like 2001 maybe. Uh, and I would spend a lot of time with a friend of mine. We would always do sleepovers and whatnot. And so I was staying with his family for a weekend and we were going to a cabin that his extended family, I guess, had joint ownership of. And this place had apparently been standing since about the Civil War era. And he was telling me stories about it, how he thinks it's haunted and whatnot. And I'm like, ooh, spooky. Haunted house. Tell me the stories. So the first thing he tells me was a real shocker. His, his aunt was apparently coming down the stairs. It's a two-level house. Uh, his aunt was coming down the stairs. And basically what he described was that she walked into what, se- what would have seemed like a uh, Civil War hospital reenactment where there's just nurses about and people who are injured laying on beds and whatnot, and they all just vanished in front of her. I can't give you too many more details on that because it's not my story, and this was, geez, probably a good 20 years ago that he told it to me. Uh, But, you know, that really caught my interest. Uh, And he had told me a personal experience that he had had. Uh, He and his brother would stay in the room upstairs. I guess it was like kind of like a guest room. And uh, there's a bathroom attached to that room. And he would say sometimes randomly at night, the toilet would just flush itself or the sink would turn on or, you know, normal haunting stuff. You you hear about those kinds of things a lot. Now I'm excited. I'm about to stay in a haunted house. I mean, I I get kind of freaked out about these things, but what 11 year old or so wouldn't. So I'm, I'm hanging out with my friend and as normal, we always stayed up really late together, just talking or playing video games or whatever. In this case, we didn't have video games, so we were just talking, I'm sure. And... I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for that bathroom to f- or that toilet to flush. I-, I keep on looking over. The door to the bathroom's open. I can see the toilet. And I'm just waiting for the next time I glance over. It's gonna. I'll see that handle go down and I'll hear the flushing noise and get spooked and run out of the house or something. But that never happened, thankfully. Uh, instead, every now and then we just hear these footsteps downstairs, like directly beneath us. Um, and it's you know it's like that creaking of the wood floor. And it didn't sound like someone was really walking around with purpose. It was more like just a step and then sort of wait and another step. You know, like someone's milling about doing, well, who knows what they were doing because we, we couldn't see them. Uh, and we, we just sort of brushed that one off because there was a, a couch down in the living room beneath us and his brother was sleeping on the couch. So we just kept thinking, you know, Josh is probably getting up and getting some water. Maybe he's milling about and uh, eavesdropping on us or something. No big deal. Who cares? But it kept on happening. It's like, man, this guy really needs to get up and get a drink of water pretty often. This is, this is strange. Still easily brushed off until we started hearing what sounded like someone chopping wood outside. Who's out there chopping wood? At that time of night, 
so we go over to the window, we look outside, and there's a there's a wood pile out there, so we can see it very clearly. There's nobody there chopping wood. The sound stops as soon as we look out the window. Okay, um, weird, but whatever. We, we go back to doing our thing, and then the chopping resumes. Now, there is a, a kind of a, a wood line about 40 yards away from the house. You, know, you, you can tell with your two ears where it sounds coming from generally. In this case, it was very easy to tell exactly where that sound was coming from. And it sounded like it was coming from right next to the house where the wood pile was. Not harmful, not too terrifying. So, you know, eventually we just went to sleep. Uh, the chopping didn't go on all night. It went on for probably like a half hour, maybe an hour. So the, the next day we, we get up. My buddy asks his brother, you know, were you getting up for water last night? We kept hearing you walk around. He was like, no, I, I slept like a baby. I, I didn't get up for anything. Okay, so now now we have something walking around downstairs and chopping wood outside. And I hadn't thought about it for a while, but after listening to your uh, museum stories, museum encounters episode, there were a lot of stories about Civil War era places, and that totally jogged my memory. Oh yeah, there's a cabin I stayed in, all these weird things happened. You know, not the craziest experiences ever, but when you're 11, I think that's plenty. Uh, some of the people on here sometimes have the absolute most nightmarish things happening to them when they're a kid. And I, I have to say, I'm very thankful that nothing like that has ever happened to me. And I pray that it never does. But thank you so much for the show, Derek. And uh, good luck with all of the fires or even more of the smoke out there, man. Uh, really wishing the best for you during this time. Uh, good evening. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. As I mentioned in the opener, we actually have a snowstorm on the way. They're predicting 8 inches last I checked, so that should take care of any fire risk we have at least until next summer. Now your story really intrigues me and really uh, honestly irritates me because there is a reference and I cannot think of where it's from. I want to say maybe Unsolved Mysteries, something along those lines. But it describes a group of people that step out of an elevator and into a Civil War surgery room that should just be a vacant basement. Now, the description I remember, this was probably 25 years ago that I saw this, but the description that I remember seemed to depict that as soon as the elevator doors opened, there was doctors and piles of body parts and blood everywhere, and the doors quickly closed, and when they reopened, it was the empty basement again. So I don't know, maybe somebody out there recognizes what I'm talking about and can uh, fill me in. Usually I'm pretty good at landing these clips, but this one escapes me. And obviously as a grab bag episode, I don't have time to search for it. Either way, we love the story. So thanks again, Alex, for taking the time to share it. Well guys, this brings us down to our final entry of the evening. And although I haven't heard this story in several months, the title really intrigues me. So the following was submitted from the state of Colorado. Please welcome John to the program. Hey Derek, this is John Wilson. I currently live in Colorado, but I still call Utah home, you in a basin. As I'm sure most of your listeners know, there's some weird stuff out, namely you know, I'm sure you've all heard of Skinwalker Ranch. I used to do a lot of work out there. I'm at work now. I do a lot of work at night. But I want to tell you a story about me and a buddy of mine, Chris, and a few friends of ours. It was in late July 1996. It scares me even to tell this story because it was 
that's scary. I hope I can fit it within five minutes. So me and my buddy Chris, our friend Amy and Mike, we all decided that we were going to meet up at this cave um, up in Uinta Mountains. And for some reason, going night caving is kind of creepy, and we figured it'd be kind of fun. So we were all going to meet up at this cave at about 1030. Well, me and my friend Chris were running a little late. We figured we'd just run up there and catch him. So we ran up there, and then it's it's about a 15-minute hike down to the cave from where we're parked. So we ran up there. We parked. Amy's car wasn't there yet, so we figured we'd go down there and wait. So we went down there, and then we got down there, waited for about 20 minutes. Um, I kept checking. I had a little watch that I kept in my pocket without the band. So we waited till about 11 and we're like, uh, maybe we missed them. Maybe they already went down there. So we went down in the cave and started headed down into the cave. It's a pretty straight cave. It just keeps going down and down and down forever. And as we were going down into the cave, we reached a spot and we were both like, did you hear that? Sounds like they're just right down there. So we ran, not ran, it's a cave and there's not a whole lot of running. We ran down there and we kept hearing them. We were yelling and yelling, and then we come to a T, and we were like, I wonder which way they went. So we sat there for a little bit, and then we heard them, and we were like, oh, they went that way. So we kept going that way, kept going that way. And for about two and a half hours, we kept following the sounds of their voice. And then at some point, Chris and I both looked at each other, and we were like, this is bull****. We would have caught them by now. You know, that the hair on our neck stood up. We were like, we need to get out of here. And so we turned around and started hiking back out. And on the way out, weird things just kept happening. We found footprints that weren't ours that were still pretty fresh because there is a stream that runs through there. We found dog prints. And I still, I still remember this like yesterday. As we were approaching the mouth of the cave, which is, a, it was, the mouth of this cave is huge. It's probably a hundred foot tall, maybe probably just as wide if not a little wider but at the top of this cave entrance there's a great big hole and in this hole well we didn't notice it at first but we were walking out and we're like maybe i don't know what that was but that was creepy and chris was standing there and he lit a cigarette and he was smoking looking down the cave and looking at me and looking down the cave and all of a sudden he kind of jerked and he and he looked up and he said, man, I think a bat just pooped on me. And I looked at him, and there was blood running down his face. I was like, that's blood, dude. And we shined our light up the top of the cave, and there was blood dripping out of the top of the cave. And that's when we got really freaked out. So the hike back up to the car is steep. It's just, you know, barely climbable. It's a lot of shale, and we scrambled up to that part where you park faster than I can ever remember doing in my life. We jumped in the truck and we headed towards the highway. And right when we started headed towards the highway on the dirt road, the tape player in the truck kicked on. And right as we left the parking lot, we started going down the road and there was a guy standing right in the middle of the road. Native American just standing there looking at us. And so I slowed down and I started pulling up next to him and he ran off into the trees. And we were like, that is so weird. So Chris was like, dude, we got to get out of here. Go, just go. This dude will be fine, whatever, just go. 
And so we started going. We hadn't gone another 200 feet. I hadn't left third gear. And there was a dog in the middle of the road. And I was like, man, what the heck? And the dog looked at us, and it was a wolf. There was no doubt about it. That was a wolf. And Chris by now is frantic, and he's pounding on the dashboard. He's like, dude, just go, 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 go. And we started going, and the dog kind of moved off to the side of the road and started chasing us. I could see it in my rearview mirror, and it was kind of lit up by the red tail light. And it started running after us, and it kind of got up on two feet, and it turned into that Native American. And it was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then it got back down on all fours, turned back into the wolf, and kept coming. And it kept coming, and we were driving as fast as we could. Granted, this is a windy mountain road, and it is not something you can drive fast on. But we were drifting around corners, going as fast as we can. We finally made it to the pavement, and right there on the sign of the pavement were two owls. Great horned owls just staring at us. And we were scared to death. 17-year-old boys just scared to death. So we kept going, and later down the pavement, so we're starting to head down the switchbacks, there was a bull elk, and he stopped right in the middle of the road, and I slowed down, and it wouldn't move. And it just kept looking at us, and it would not move. I honked at it. I started creeping up on it, and when it finally moved, it moved right into the other lane and just turned around and watched us as we went by. It's 25 miles down that hill, and I still remember... I seen more animals on that. I see a lot of animals on that drive all the time, but more of them acting freakishly weird. And when we got to town in the light, you start getting into town, there starts to be, you know, lights from town. And I look in the rearview mirror and there is a dog running behind us. And Chris and I freaked. I drove through town probably going 60 miles an hour. I'm surprised I didn't get pulled over and get a ticket. We got to his house. We ran in the apartment. We locked the doors and we sat there and looked at each other. It was the scariest thing in my life. And still to this day, I remember it like it was yesterday. And when I think about it, when I talk about it, I start getting night terrors. But maybe that's a tale for another time. Anyway, thank you. I appreciate it. Love the podcast. And I'll holler at you later, homie. Bye. Thank you, John. That's quite the tale. Now, the fact that you mentioned the Uintah Basin, which is where the Skinwalker Ranch is located, and the mention of a wolf-like dog, or a wolf, for lack of a better term, it kind of rang a bell for me. So as I was listening, I did some digging and actually found what I was looking for. There's an interview that George Knapp, an investigator out of the Las Vegas area, who's well known for involvement in the Skinwalker Ranch area, he gave an interview several years ago at a MUFON event in Los Angeles. The following is the rather famous story that he told that took place on the infamous Skinwalker Ranch. Anyway, day one, they buy this ranch, 
It's going to be their dream property, their dream home. They're there at the property unloading their possessions, and they look out across this green pasture, and there's a big animal lurking up by the tree line. What the heck is that? And it, it looks like a, is it a big dog? Uh, no, it looks like a wolf, they figured out. And then it starts moving towards them, kind of in a zigzag motion. And they're wondering, God, we didn't even know there were wolves in this area. And then they thought, well, gosh, it's coming right towards us. It must be domesticated. It must be somebody's pet. It gets, this thing gets within about 10 feet of, a, of the family. There's this wolf coming up towards them. They're all, all sort of on guard a little bit. It is a big, I mean, it's gigantic. It, and it, in essence, comes up, it would come up to like the middle of my chest, its back. Huge, heavily muscled, gigantic, powerful. So it's walking in between the family, being kind of docile, not presenting any kind of a threat. The family had just unloaded some calves into this corral that's in the, uh, in the ranch area right near the home. And this wolf sees one of these calves, these unfortunate calves that made the bad uh, judgment to stick its nose out the bars of the corral. The wolf springs like 15 feet in the air, chomps down its powerful jaws on the snout of this calf that had stuck its head through the bars and starts pulling it. Well, the calf is bleeding, it's screaming, everybody in the family is upset. The dad, the rancher, he sends his kid to uh, his truck. He has a powerful handgun in the, a 357 in his uh, glove box. The kid brings it back. He tells his family to stand back. Boom, shoots this wolf point blank. A second time, a third time, it's not moving. Now, by this time, the calf is fading. It looks like it's going to die. The family's freaked out that this, this wolf is apparently bulletproof. The, ga- the dad sends his father into the house, get, comes out with a hunting rifle, and again, he pumps a, a round point blank into the wolf. The wolf doesn't scream, doesn't bleed, doesn't do anything. He just he dr- does drop the calf and just stands there and looks at the rancher with his, with his rifle. So he shoots him another time. The wolf walks a couple of feet away, he shoots him again, and a big chunk of flesh, flesh and, and fur, flies off the wolf and lands in the grass. The wolf calmly turns around and trots slowly back across the pasture from whence it had came. Everybody's looking at each other going, what the hell was this about? Now, like I said, that story is pretty infamous, so make of it what you will. But I should add that the state of Utah isn't known for its wolf population. In fact, I found a article from the Salt Lake Tribune that details the first time a wolf was seen in the state of Utah in some time. That was earlier this year. I will attach that article to tonight's show notes, as well as everything else you heard on tonight's program. So I don't know, John. It's quite the story, and thank you for sharing it with us. I wish I had more information to give you, but it certainly seems like there's something strange going on in that area. Thanks again for sharing. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the creepy score you heard tonight... Let's co.ag music and white bad audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week.
Tonight's secret submission was sent in by Vanessa from the state of Tennessee. Hey, Derek. This is Samantha from Dandridge, Tennessee. And I was calling because I recently just started listening to your podcast within the last couple months. And I got to season eight. I cannot remember which episode it was, but the gentleman in the story explained how he went to one side of his house and went outside and it was daylight. But he had said that it was nighttime. He went to the other room, back to his bedroom, and it was darkening. And I had an experience just a couple weeks ago. I'm a very light sleeper. As soon as the sun comes up, I'm awake. Well, I was awoken. The sun was up, and I was okay. I'm ready to get up. But I look at the clock, and it's 4.13 in the morning. And where I'm at, the sun doesn't rise until maybe around 6.30. So I found this a little odd. We live in the middle of nowhere. Sanders, Tennessee, it's, it's a little spot on the map. I mean... There was no explanation for how it could have been so bright because I remember going back to sleep and waking up again and the sun was coming up. And I thought I was going crazy. I thought that I had just woken up and, you know, had a moment, went back to sleep, maybe was dreaming. But then my daughter, she's eight, she said, Mom, there was a bright light that woke me up this morning and I just thought that it was crazy. It hasn't happened again since, and it was daylight. I have sheer curtains, and I'm telling you, I could see the sky. So if anybody else has experienced this, I would like to know. I just thought that it was just kind of incredible, but thank you for your podcast and your time, and have a good day. Thank you, Vanessa. I have to make a confession here. I'm a control freak. So I couldn't help but do some research on this story. But what I found was truly fascinating. So with a little help from our friend YouTube, I was able to find a submission from Eastern Tennessee in the same general region as Vanessa's entry. Now the title of this video is Mysterious Lights Over East Tennessee on 52020. And the description is as follows. Hey guys. As I was taking the trash out late at night, I noticed this strange light emitting from an area that there should not be that much light. Now the video goes on to show a white uh, section of sky glowing off in the distance. I know videos don't exactly translate to podcast, but I thought I'd share a few seconds of his videos. You can hear in his voice how uh, confused I suppose he is. So the following video was taken from Exploration Unknown on YouTube. Just want to document this. That's kind of hard to tell. There's a strange bright light coming just over the horizon. It just went away. There it is, it's back. It's moving. You can see there's like it's spread out right now. There's nothing there that would create this kind of light. I mean this is lighting up the sky from behind a mountain. This is insane. I don't know what it is. See, look, it's getting bright again. It's getting bright again. It's it's weird. 
because like the opposite direction is downtown Knoxville. This is towards this is just farmland. This is country farmland back here. It don't look like anything's on fire. But it could be. I don't smell nothing. Okay, so yeah, that's a little weird. Vanessa and this gentleman happened to see something similar. But if I'm honest, the light in his video isn't nearly as bright as what was described by Vanessa and her child. So we did a little more digging. And it turns out that's not the only time something strange like this has been seen in eastern Tennessee. I happened to find another video, this one published on October 16th of 2018, by Mr. Anderson, also on YouTube. Now this video shows a much, much brighter sky. It's almost reminiscent of Aurora Borealis, or the Northern Lights, but they're all completely white. The title of this video is Bright Lights, Smyrna, Tennessee, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, to dark sky and sunrise at 4.17 a.m. local time. I believe it's roughly the same time Vanessa reported seeing her strange light anomaly. Now the description of the video is as follows. This video I captured when I went outside to take a smoke. I've been looking at the sky every night I go out, and I've never in my life seen any phenomenon like this. Before you try to debunk, know that there was no fog. The lights that are generally shining in that direction you can see are brightly lit and remain as is as the phenomenon disappears behind the tree in the video. Now again, I'm going to play a small sampling of the audio from this video, but I highly encourage every listener to go to the website monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the show notes and give both these videos a watch. And Vanessa, if you're listening, please do the same and let me know if this is similar to what you encountered. Here's that video. I have never seen anything like this. I don't know where these, this bright light is coming from. It's white. Bright white light. So what's going on in eastern Tennessee? Thanks again, Vanessa, for taking the time to share. Thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night.